Good evening. This morning we're going to have Scott Gribble um, give the message. Thank you, Scott. Um, I just was curious. Uh, what is the tradition here on how soon you can start preaching Christmas messages? Any time in the year? Uh, I, I was just curious. I know at Lyman Christian Church, where I normally say when I'm not traveling, we start the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, it's all Christmas carols starting from that Sunday forward, and uh, Christmas messages moving forward. And, and I don't know, I, I kind of like that. There's an old, old song. Uh, maybe you have it on one of your old uh, recordings. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. You're familiar with the song? And it is. I don't know about you, but uh, last weekend our families uh, went up to Pine Ridge and we cut down the Christmas tree and brought it back and every day, you know, the house transitioned a little bit more and more and more into looking like what houses look like at the Christmas season. And, uh, you know, as we um, move closer and closer, all the things that are going on, uh, last night had to attend an uh, impact. I was able to attend a Christmas gathering, a Christmas party with all of the Southern Christian College staff, and there's a family gathering coming up, and we did do a lot of Christmas family for, in our celebration of Christmas well. And um, sometimes, and, and again, sometimes it's terrible things that you're talking about, but sometimes some of those things just get in the way of what Christmas is about. Don't get me wrong, they're a part of what we do. But they, they keep us from really focusing on what Christmas is all about. I remember as a um, young kid, in, I'm assuming junior high, but I'm not certain for sure that uh, we were introduced into um, sort of a journalistic style of writing, in which when you wrote, you had to object that you were to watch the rainbow bowl and the walk. Remember doing that when you were in school? Um, for some of us, it's getting harder and harder to remember that now, but I do remember the exercise and going through it and just having to make sure we're going to write something. And when we would do this little writing, we had to certainly identify who we were and who we were and why. I always wanted to add the how come and how. But we're going to stick with history of the five W's this morning. I want to talk a little bit about Christmas from those perspectives of who we were and who we were and why. You probably can Christmas, so who was Jesus, right? But the what? Jesus was born. The, the where? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is, this is new, is it? The, the when? Well, in the, well uh, King Herod was uh, over uh, Judea uh, during 15th year when Herodias was governor. We're going to label that here using our calendar about 4 BC. It's pretty obvious that the who, the what, the money, where, and the last one is the why. The movie just simply say that. Let's give you the answer. Why? Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod? Amen. Uh, you can all pick up your Bibles and go home. It's the shortest sermon I've ever preached. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, you know, I think the 
but this is all those individual points. Um, so here we are, I think the idea of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, um, just the idea of him being born, not suddenly he just manifested himself as an adult, but the fact that he was actually uh, born and was truly one of us, experiencing all aspects of humanity, um, from conception through death and even resurrection. I think that's important. Um, we're talking about um, Jesus born in Bethlehem. We're talking about the creation of Bethlehem to the city of David, the queen, and Jesus is going to be that king. Uh, and his father David's throne is the recipient of him being born in Bethlehem. And we think about the wind. I, I want to think about the wind. He points to Galatians 4 4. Which makes a simple statement of in the fullness of God. God sent his son. And, and so I think of all the prophets and everything else, everything working in, in God's timeline, God's plan, to come about at that moment when he was born. And all of those are important. And I could talk about any one of these things, but I want to limit our discussion on just two of those dozen. So um, let's start out with the simple one, the easiest one, the obvious one, and that is the who. Jesus, right? Who's the who? Jesus is the who. What I want you to do is go to open your Bibles if you have one with you. We're going to start out in Luke, the first chapter, and uh, um, I want to read a couple passages of scripture. Um, Luke, the first chapter, uh, starting in verse 28. And this is what the angel appears to Mary and let her know that she was a, uh, uh, let her know that she was about to become a, a mother. And uh, let's go ahead and take a look at it. Hopefully we're there. Look the um, first chapter, and I'm going to start reading in verse 28. It says the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, you um, highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid of her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to get a little bit professional. Uh, Jesus is the Greek rendering of an Old Testament name, Joshua, in English is what we would say. Um, that Old Testament name, pardon me, it's just a, a very American pronunciation of that Hebrew, but it would be Jehovah, would be that old uh, term in Hebrew for Joshua. Jesus and Joshua being the fact that English renderings of the same name. Um, by the time that Jesus was born that old testament name, uh, which is Joshua from the Old Testament, which had been shortened to just the simple Yeshua. And that term uh, Yeshua, that, that's a description of anybody who had been close to him would have called him. We refer to him as Jesus. Uh, Yeshua would have been what they would have been referring to him. But the meaning of the name, whether it's long term or short term or whether it's English or whatever um, language, the meaning of that word is Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. I like that. I think that captures 
not only the who, but also the why. Yahweh saves. Yahweh incredible. You shall know. Yahweh saves. I, I, I heard um, a vision in one on a senior commentary that basically not as usual for people to name their children at some sort of expression they want to make. And I know when we um, saved our first son, we named him Matthew, and Matthew means the gift of God, and we looked at our son and said, yes, it's a gift of God. So the name has to do this. So he says, not very often that God gives the name, the expression of God. Yahweh says, Yahweh is salvation. What I want to do is go ahead and look at the picture. I'm going to just throw the picture there. Who Jesus is besides just you shall name him Jesus. What I want to look at is two angelic proclamations uh, that are made in the first two chapters of Luke. The first was from Gabriel to Mary prior to her coming. And the second was from the um, angel to the shepherd on the night that Jesus was born. So let's begin. I will pick back up in verse 32. In the first chapter of the book. He will be great, the email, the one who will be called Jesus. He will be um, great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of the Father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the question, How can the be done a virgin? And the answer is, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of most holy most high will overshadow you. So that the one who is born will be called the Son of God. Let's go ahead and jump over to the second chapter and pick it up when those shepherds appear, uh, or when those um, when the angel appears to the shepherds. Uh, I'll go to the second chapter, verse 10. The, the angel says to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, but bring you good news that they Cause great joy for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So, if I put all those things together on the who, um, what we're looking at is Jesus, Yahweh saved, or Yahweh in salvation, the Son of God, he's the Son of the Most Holy One, he's the Son of David, he's going to be a king over a never ending kingdom. He is God's salvation. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Lord. Wow. Pretty impressive resume up to this point in time, huh? Um, before we go any further, I want to add one more detail that Matthew is going to give us. Well, it's up on all these Christmas posts that we have heard. Praise the beginning of Jesus. So let's turn back to Matthew. And I want to look at, um, again, uh, what we're looking at uh, now is. Uh, Angel coming to uh, Joseph in his room. Uh, Joseph had heard that Mary was pregnant and that he knew that he wasn't the father of the child, and so he intended that to break off that engagement, uh, to annul that marriage contract that was in place. But again, suddenly that angel shows up and begins to speak uh, to him. Um, and so let me go ahead and pick it up. In, um, Partway through verse 20, with the angel's words to Joseph. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the 
things to do. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. I love that. You literally, that you are to call the name of Jesus, God is the Savior. You are called to call the name of him, God is the salvation. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Um, I, I think about that, that term Emmanuel, God with us. And I think in some ways we could limit the meaning of that term to sort of like God for us or God by our side. I think back at all of those Old Testament battles. And one of the things that when so often scripture comes forward is when God was with them, they won. And the idea is that God um, God was present with them, yes, but more so is God was on their side. God was fighting for them. And we can limit the idea here to this idea of Yahweh saves or Yahweh is um, his salvation to the idea that that Emmanuel, God is with us, is this idea that he is all for us. And through Jesus, he's going to accomplish uh, great things because he is for us. I mean, that would be a lot, but that's not the extent of what he's doing. If we look at the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, we're going to get a little bit better picture of what it actually means to say, Emmanuel, or even Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. Um, let's go ahead and take a look at what I want to look at is uh, John 13, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, it starts out um, in the beginning, I know you're familiar with this passage. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me go forward and shift to some pronouns, and I want to keep the proper noun, the word, uh, in its place rather than using pronouns. So let me go ahead and start it again. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. And through the word, all things were made. Without the word, nothing has been made uh, that has been made. Nothing was made that has been made. In the word was made. Jumping ahead to verse 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Somehow, in a way that is beyond our capacity to ever understand, Yahweh, without ceasing to be Yahweh, Without ceasing to be God, somehow God put on flesh, he became a creature. And his cells multiplied and divided in a way that uh, any child would when going through that child development in the womb and nine uh, short months uh, was born. And they named that child that was born Jesus. But it is so much more than just the Son of God being born. It is Yahweh in some way 
Yahweh himself said this. Yahweh himself had become salvation. That's incredible. When I think about Christmas, I almost tried to miracle in the physical in the second chapter. Now he in this conversation in the second chapter is trying to convince the people in the church that they ought to humble themselves before one another, treat one another um, in a way above themselves. And he uses Jesus as the example that he ought to follow. But in, in doing this, he takes a look at what Jesus did, grasping this concept of Yahweh becoming one of us. And this is, this is the way he explains it. Philippians um, 20, chapter 7, and verse 6, it talks about who is he being Jesus. Well, make that substitution. Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider his quality of God something to God. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming in likeness of men, and being found in the form of a man. A man eventually. But for purpose, he began to be able. And the whole of God was in the heart of Jesus. Perhaps I know what I'm speaking about, who. I, I haven't shared any, was there any new information at this point? It wasn't for me when I was putting this all together. I know this, but what I want us to do is maybe not think about something new, but stop and think about what we already knew. And think it all in. Save us from um, the consequences of that. In Psalm 130, this is a thousand years before Christmas occurred. Um, they were hope in the Lord, for the Lord exhibits his loyal love and is more than willing to deliver. He will deliver Israel from all of the consequences of their sin. I like that because it's talking about Yahweh, and here it is at Christmas, the fulfillment of that Yahweh. In the flesh, coming to deliver us from all of the consequences of our sin. When I think about the consequences of the sin, I've got uh, three that I want to discuss real quick. Um, the first one is the guilt of our sins and the subsequent condemnation coming along with that. Um, he forgives them 
uh, a Greek word um, for forgive, if we take it outside of the sin relationship, we're about forgiving, but it actually means to remove. To remove and leave it somewhere. Uh, when, when my wife and I were living in, in Mozambique, Africa, occasionally uh, when we were having a, a baptism, we would do it in which go out into the bay uh, in the community we live in. And uh, I remember on one particular thing, uh, we, we went out to the ocean with 600 people and I baptized the young girl out of the ocean and came back in. And I asked her when we got back in, I said, well, where are all the people? And she just said that we did the speech now. She says, I left her behind in the life. And I love that picture because that's the way that we need to understand what God did when it comes to us in consideration. There's been left. Not only the sins we come to Christ, but the sins that we just continue to commit, unfortunately. When we're in Christ, they're left behind. In the same way that that girl was corrected, or it's like, okay, I've been washing it. Their sins have been washing it. It's still in the water. Um, that's what God does with their sin in Elijah. And if the sins have been left behind, uh, there are no more, there is no more condemnation. What is God going to do now? If they're not. Along that same line, uh, one of the consequences of our sin is, is a separation from God. And, and I think um, that, that concept is expressed multiple times throughout Scripture. Um, and with the guilt wrong, that causes a separation from God. The, the, the word that's commonly used to describe uh, this undoing of that separation in the Testament is the word reconcile, reconciliation. And rather than looking at the multiple passages that use that word reconcile, uh, I wanted to grab Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 13, where he describes the phenomenon. And I like that. He expresses it, but uh, um, in Christ Jesus, it's like that all right, in Christ Jesus, you who used to be far away have been brought. And I like We who were separated in Christ Jesus. That separation, that consequences of their sin, is I think, though, Jesus as a Savior, Joshua says, Joshua is, is uh, uh, salvation, now we're in salvation. He did more than, than merely set us free from the damage of past sin. And I think. This, to me, missing this understanding is one of the greatest travesties in modern day Christianity. Because Jesus also delivers us from mastery over sin. Not just delivers us from the consequences of that, but delivers us from the mastery of sin before we were given today. Um, I, I think that we need almost uh, understanding, definitely, I'm showing all the tragedy of Jesus Christ. And again, that's something that so few of us really grasp. Um, in Titus, in second chapter, Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. 
It teaches us to bring no to ungodliness or passion, but to live in self-control, upright, and godly lives. I stop and I think about one of the wonderful gifts that we have because of faith is the fact that I can say. I can say yes, God, I have been set free from the control that sin has over us. One of the, again, I think from the very tragedy of the fact that we talk about how even in Christ we've got this sinful nature, how we still have this flesh and belief. No, in Christ, He has given us the power to be that Holy Spirit. And I think for when we think about Christmas, I think, wow, we need to understand what God has really accomplished for us through that gift on that Christmas day. Um, but not only the who, but the why. Uh, we've entered into this Christmas Eve. And uh, my hope for all of you is that you're going to be thinking about through this whole Christmas Eve. Focus on Focus it on the why, where, and when. But really focusing on the why. And that you would be believing the reality of that. And that you would be sharing, there's no better time than Christmas to share that story because people are thinking about it. Um, I like the comments sometimes that we do have the tree put up in the yard about in the house, we've got a tree, we've got all the way to the other destination tree, and I'll be going on and For me, that's a part of For her, that's a part of Christmas. For me, I prefer a much simpler Christmas. And uh, um, I thought, I think, what is it really necessary to celebrate Christmas? And I have to uh, share something. Um, Occasionally, I had the privilege of officiating at a marriage out of heaven. And uh, um, my friends started me to really focus towards what I read during that marriage counseling. And the bride and groom started to kind of move it from language of heaven's preparation to something else. Ask the question, sir, can you tell me more about what is really necessary? What is really necessary? And uh, the point that we're trying to make is that what's necessary now is a bride and a woman, a license in preparation for the bride. Everything else is secondary. I know, women do that. But everything else is decoration. And I thought, I think about Christmas as we approach this Christmas. Um, what's, what's important to us? And understand more than simply a baby, even a son of God, but Yahweh himself is
Father in heaven, um, we're approaching just a few minutes. There are a lot of stuff for the folks this morning. My Father, we celebrate that we're seeing you closer. That we will recognize your No matter how much we might be involved in other activities, that even when we're involved in the world, somehow our connections and our faith and the things of what connection on what happened on over 2,000 years ago. Father, I pray that we might all be. 